Conair is spreading love and celebrating women, not just on International Women's Day, but every day with Conair Girl Bomb. Girl Bomb is their new line of powerful hair removal tools made just for us. Yeah. Whether it's the silky smooth skin or the empowering confidence boost you get, Conair Girl Bomb is here to amp up those positive vibes with some self care. So, to all the beautiful women out there, keep shining, keep being you, and treat yourself to some Conair Girl Bomb magic. You deserve it. Available at Walgreens. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. This is Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. Hi, everyone. This is Let's Be Clear with Shannon Doherty. I want to thank you for listening to my podcast and for your kind and encouraging words on social media. As you may know, there are many people with me on this cancer journey. And today, I'm joined by someone instrumental in my treatment. The Hollywood Reporter named him one of Hollywood's top doctors. Please welcome Dr. Lawrence Pirro. Hey, Shannon. Happy to be here. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I had a very long day, but uh, nothing I would look forward to more than a glass of wine and a conversation with you. Something we've done quite often. And every time it's enjoyable and unpredictable. Unpredictable is a really, really good word for it. Um Can you please, just for you know the people listening in, tell us your full title, your specialty, and what hospitals you're affiliated with? Well, I'm Dr. Lawrence Pirro. My title is CEO of the Angels Clinic and Research Institute, which is an affiliate of Cedars-Sinai, which we started about 23 years ago. And I'm a oncolo- medical oncologist, so kind of the overall quarterback of the oncology team in terms of diagnosis and planning treatment and coordinating all the treatments. And is your oncology specialty breast or a multitude of different cancers? Well, it's a multitude of different cancers, and I've done research in a number of different areas, but um, breast is an area where I've treated an extensive amount of patients over my entire 40-year career. And you are published, are you not? I am. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I've been a you know researcher and a developer of treatments from the beginning of my career, um, I was actually still a fellow when published on the first new drug, which was a drug that put uh, a disease called hairy cell leukemia into remission in 98% of cases. And it was a kind of a worldwide attention item because there was almost nothing that would put that number of people into remission with a single treatment. So that was quite a, quite a breakthrough. And that 
spawned my career starting when I was in my late 20s that spawned my career in investigative oncology and creating you know targeted treatments and I was uh, part of the development team for uh, all of the clinical trials that led to um, uh, the approval of rituxan which was the first monoclonal antibody ever used in man and approved as a drug so we had a a really great experience with all that. And that, of course, opened up a, a whole new field of drugs. Um, and now there are, you know, many, many, and a lot of people actually got monoclonal antibodies for COVID, you remember. Yes. Um, so that was a fun thing to be involved with. And now I have a medium to large institute uh, with a lot of oncologists doing great work and doing research and all different kinds of things. And I treat a wide variety of, of diseases because uh, a lot of times the relationship is, um, is the important thing. Yeah. So in other words, you're like, no joke. <laughs> <laughs> you're like the no joke doctor. So just to give our listeners a bit of history, I got diagnosed with breast cancer in 2015. Uh, I went to a different oncologist and had not a very successful sort of treatment in the sense of nothing was really changing. I still had, you know, a tumor in my breast. I still wasn't getting surgery. I kind of was feeling a little bit lost. The drug that this particular oncologist had me on put me in a menopause. I wasn't properly warned about that. I was definitely feeling adrift, if you will, in my sort of cancer journey. And I knew that something needed to change. I just didn't know how to change it. And most of the time, a lot of patients feel as if they don't have the right to ask for a better doctor or to change doctors, or they're scared their insurance won't cover a new doctor, or they feel like they can't change doctors. And I felt that for a minute until I got a phone call from my friend, Chris, who said he was good friends with a mutual friend of ours, David. And David really wanted to introduce me to this oncologist that he said saved his father's life with cancer and he felt very strongly about. And that meeting happened to be when I met you. Do you want to tell us about it? Sure. Well, uh, David Charvet called me and said, would I be willing to have dinner over at Chris's house and meet Shannon? She was going through a little cancer problem and they thought if we met up, we might be um, a good team. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'm happy to. So we had dinner. You know, usually in that kind of a situation, it's a, it's kind of a dance, you know, because you're like, it's like a blind date to people who are invited to a get social gathering for a purpose. And everyone kind of knows the purpose, but you're supposed to act like you don't know the purpose. <laughs> it's so true. That's right. a great way of describing it. Yeah. So you usually dance around each other and like, well, who's going to? who's going to reveal that they know the purpose first and put it out on the table and square it all up. Um, and uh, that, however, didn't play out that night because neither you nor I are kind of beat around the bush people. So we just like jumped right in. Yeah. And uh, within five minutes, we were uh, pretty connected and pretty sure that we understood one another and pretty good, pretty sure that we'd be a great team together. Yeah, I felt like you understood uh, why I was feeling a bit lost. And you definitely had opinions on what should change and what needed to get done immediately. And I really respected the fact that you had like a strong standpoint and you weren't intimidated by me, by who I am, but also more importantly, by my personality. You 
you know, you have just as big of a personality as I do. So we were able to really mesh on that level. And I know that for me personally, I kind of felt like, oh, all right, I think that this is somebody who is going to really be thoughtful with my care, which was incredibly important to me. And he understands that there's nothing more integral than me tackling this and getting better. And you insisted that I come in like right away. You were like, okay, let's get started. I think we met on like a Friday or Saturday night and you're like, great, we're getting you into the clinic on Monday. Like you were like, let's go. Yeah. Well, you know, you, you had, there were a lot of things going on in your situation that we, we knew that we needed a change and I wanted to get changed right away because time was of the essence for many reasons. Um, not the least of which was, you know, there were delays in diagnosis and then you'd been on a form of therapy that didn't seem to be really, you know, doing anything, getting the job done the way. And you had a lot of side effects from it. So, yeah, I wanted to get started right away. And, you know, I said earlier um, that, you know, sort of who I choose to treat uh, is guided in part by how important the relationship is. And um, that is the most important thing because, you know, everyone deserves world class health care. And that's required, but not sufficient. Um, everyone requires also a world-class patient experience because if you get, even if you get great care, if you get PTSD trying to get the care, then the quality of your life is not good at all. And so uh, that there are a lot of things which affect that process, the patient experience, but a big part of it is the doctor-patient relationship. And that's kind of a hackneyed term, you know, it sounds so especially in our case, it sounds so like official and um, a doctor-patient relationship, but but it is a very important thing. And it's about, you know, it's about the patient believing that you're going to do everything for them, that you're going to think about their case thoughtfully and importantly, individually. You're going to think about their individual case, not just you know, what category you fit into. You're fitting into this stage and this disease and uh, third line treatment or whatever, but actually your individual case and what are the nuances for, for example, we've chosen things at times that, you know, were guided by efficacy against the cancer, but also by whether it makes you lose hair or not, because that sounds like super trivial, hair versus cancer, but it's not at all because um, hair affects your your view of yourself and your view of yourself affects your engagement with the treatment and how much you believe in the treatment. It affects one's ability to work in some cases. You work in a business where you can't work much if you look like you're sick. And and so there's like so many things that come into the factor of individualizing you know, the treatment or other side effects that you're willing to have or not willing to have, not necessarily because they're visible to other people like hair, but they're important to you personally, whoever the patient is. And some people can tolerate certain kinds of side effects you know, like they're charging through a war and other people are just completely debilitated by those side effects. And I don't think that most people realize that patients do make choices almost as much by side effects as by efficacy. Not as much. I mean, there's always more power given to efficacy as there should be, but um, but it's a pretty close balance because, you know, especially in these days where Fortunately, um, we have lots of treatments that if they can't make you go into remission completely, they can 
keep you in remission for a long period of time with a low level of cancer. And then there's going to be another thing after that and another thing after that. So it's a long journey. And if you are having side effects that are just intolerable to you all through that journey, then it's a long journey of miserable life. And what people's goal is, and of course should be, and what the doctor's goal should be for you is, a long, if it's not curable, then a long journey of the highest quality life. Yeah. I mean, I think quality of life is so incredibly important because if your quality of life on a protocol, on a treatment is very poor, then you definitely fall into a depression and that depression leads you to kind of give up. And I you know, I know there's no like science behind my particular kind of thinking that, you know, meds speak for themselves and everything else. But I do believe that uh, mind over matter is incredibly important. I believe in the power of the brain and power of suggestion. So if you're feeling really good, if you're in a good place and you're believing in your protocol and you're okay with it, and it's not totally wrecking your quality of life, then you're going to feel all sorts of positive energy towards that protocol, which I think ends up making the protocol work a little bit better. That's just been my experience thus far mm-hmm. on the protocols I've been on. Again, I know that there's zero science behind that. Well, certainly, but- certainly, you know, there's lots of hormones and signals that are released by the brain that, you know, translate into a sense of well-being. And if you have a sense of well-being on a treatment, you know, it it may go better. I mean, in the case of breast cancer, for example, there are studies that show that, you know, if you exercise during chemotherapy, that the actual outcome of the chemotherapy may be better. The outcome on the tumor may actually be better. So I, I take that as, you know, indirect evidence that doing things with your body or your mind may influence the milieu of your body while you're getting the chemotherapy and change the outcome. So I, I think what you say is, you know, is completely correct. Um, so we, um, I came into, you know, your office on a Monday and you had taken the weekend to access, you know, all of my medical records, you know, with my authorization, obviously, but, uh, so that you were completely on top of like where I was at. Can you explain? Cause I, I don't think a lot of people know, particularly with breast cancer, like the, the, her positive, the, her negative, but what is the difference between that? People always ask me what I am and I'm like, I kind of don't remember. (laughs) Well, you're technically estrogen receptor positive, progesterone receptor positive, and HER2 negative. But it's a bit of a complicated technicality, but there's a, the initial way that you do the HER testing, and HER is is a, one of the genes that can be expressed in breast cancer, and it's actually a target for treatments, some treatments that are very, very su- successful at helping in breast cancer, um, though its expression in the breast cancer can be associated with a less good outcome. Um, and you are HER2 negative, which, you know, is a good prognostic indicator. But um, the way that that test is initially done, it's done in kind of a qualitative way. So they test the cells for that expression and you get sort of a one plus or two plus or three plus and a certain cutoff is of the pluses is considered negative and a certain cutoff positive. But if it if you're equivocal, meaning meaning that you're in sort of a mid-range then we do a more refined test, which is a quantitative test. And it's a, a very accurate quantitative test. 
So you you were in the equivocal range, um, but when we then did the more complicated test, you were negative. So we're happy about that because you know it's a better prognostic sign. However, fast forward many years later in, in your treatment, um, when you're in that equivocal zone, it's called a HER2 expressor. So you're expressing it, even though you're not technically positive, you're expressing it at a low level. And so right when we were needing to have another novel therapy in your case, a, a paper came out that shows that patients who are HER2 expressors respond to one of the newer um, monoclonal antibody drug conjugates that targets HER2. Um, and these people actually respond well to it. So the fact that we had all that data and we remembered that data and we, we accessed that data when we were having to, again, think novelly and individually about you because there were reasons why going back onto chemotherapy wouldn't have been ideal at this particular juncture. So we chose uh, an antibody drug conjugate. And fortunately, data had come out just in time. And, you know, that's something I've talked with you a lot about and other people that, you know, we know together that I've treated you know, it's sort of in the beginning of my career, we were real all focused on you sort of pretty much either cure something or you kind of limp along with it. Um, but it isn't a long period of limping along with it. You know, back in the day, now there are so many treatments that, and since we've been able to sequence the human genome, and since we've, un, you know, really unleashed a lot of the, or unlocked a lot of the secrets that allowed us to unleash immunotherapy, which is the body's immune system, you know, being revved up to fight the cancer. Now, there are many different chapters to what we can do. And so early on, if you achieved a partial remission and were limping along, it may not have affected your overall survival, even though you were in remission, because, because it might not last that long. But now, if you can achieve a partial remission that lasts for a decent amount of time, in that time, developments are so fast that something new may show up that might then give you a much longer, more meaningful remission. So I always say that, you know, it's important uh, to think of each therapy as a horse and you want to ride in a horse race. So you want to ride every horse as long as it rides. Uh, and then you ride the next horse as much as possible. And you hope by the time you make a few laps, you know, there's altogether another set of horses to, to ride, you know, to make the race that much longer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. This is Shannon Doherty, host of the Let's Be Clear podcast. 
I really want to tell you about Cozy Earth. They make the most luxurious bedding and apparel. Let me just tell you first about the apparel. I have been wearing these pajamas nonstop. They make me feel warm and safe and just so, so, so cozy. I never want to take them off. And their sheets, oh my goodness, their sheets are unbelievable. They make you feel like you're sleeping in a five-star hotel. Cozy Earth's responsibly sourced bamboo viscose bedding is temperature regulating and incredibly soft. So for me, that's really important because I tend to run really hot when I sleep. And now I don't. Now my body is always regulated. I'm in love with these sheets. Their products have made Oprah's favorite things list for five years running, which is a true testament to the quality of this brand. Plus, their bedding comes with a 10-year warranty, promising a decade of restful sleep. That's pretty amazing. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for my listeners today, up to 40% off site-wide when you use the code CLEAR. Again, that's code CLEAR, C-L-E-A-R, for up to 40% off site-wide. I'm actually going to use my own code and go right now and buy my mom new bedding. Cozy Earth. Oh, it's cozy. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. Somebody was asking me today and they were like, wow, you know, like stage four breast cancer says like five years. It's like, yeah, but that's like old data that you have found on the internet and things are different. I mean, yes, there are people that have only survived five years. You know, I think my best friend, Deb, was one of those, but there are so many different things right now. And you and I always talk about the fact that like, we just need to squeeze out another three to five years. And then there's going to be, you know, T-cell therapy, or there's going to be this, or there's going to be that, like whatever it is, there's going to be a lot more options that will give another five years. Then in those five years, there's a whole other, you know, group of options. And then eventually there's going to be a cure. So I always look at it as I'm, I'm, the horse analogy is a really good one. Like I'm constantly chasing, I'm riding those horses so that I get to the fresh set of horses. And I'm trying to get the one that I'm on right now to like last for as long as humanly possible. And that's why I like that analogy, because when you're the one riding the horse, which is the much more difficult job than the one picking the horse, um, you, it gets exhausting at times. And but then you think, well, okay, this is still working, right? Yeah. yeah, this is hard, but it's still working. And we don't want to abandon that because if we abandon it too early, that that one decision could foreshorten a lot of other things. And then your timing could be just exactly off 
for the introduction of new therapies, like like the fact that our timing was so fortunate of you know of fi- of finding this study about the HER2 expressors and being able to put you on that. Right, which the funny, I mean, the funny story behind this is that I kind of bumped my head after a Christmas party that I threw and I called you and was like, and it was right after New Year's or whatever, when I called you and I was like, hey, you know, over the holidays, I kind of hit my head pretty badly and I know that it was bleeding. What do you think? I'm probably fine, right? Like I didn't die in my sleep, so I'm okay. And you were like, "Uh, no, you need to come in for a CT scan, like pronto. And I did, and we found, you know, Mets, and I guess we can call Bob a tumor. He was a tumor. Yeah, I mean, I, I and that interestingly is my my bigger concern with the way the trauma you had. You know, there's something called a subdural hematoma, that is a chronic slow oozing of blood that can present with symptoms coming, you know, a week or ten days after the initial trauma and. Uh, some very famous people have died with that sort of thing. And if you don't evacuate that blood quickly, and since you were having some symptoms a little bit still at that time, um, that's what I was concerned about more so than a tumor in some ways, because you didn't, you know, you weren't exhibiting any signs of tumor. You weren't having paralyzed anything. You weren't having seizures. You know, you weren't, you know, dizzy. And I'm not, I'm not even still sure, you know, given the, you know, relatively small size of those things of whether they were definitely causing symptoms or not. Right. Because what ended up happening is we found some Mets and we found one that was larger than the others. Um, And Dr. Pirro said, you need to go like get this. We're going to go get it removed immediately, mainly because I want to, you know, study it and I want the pathology on it. And I want to see is this, is this breast cancer that's moved into like, I, I need to know specifically the cancer that's there that we're dealing with so I know how to treat it properly. And I think like six days later, I was at Cedar sinai getting my head cut open and a, you know, tumor, that's Bob, by the way, I named him Bob. No offense to any Bobs, he just seemed like a Bob to me. You know, we got almost all of him and the rest we handled with brain radiation. Well, and the, the reason why it was so important to to study the tissue is that sometimes after you've had treatments for long periods of time, the tumors morph in their expression. So it may not have been expressing the same set of determinants and markers that the original one had. But secondly, and, and somewhat more importantly, chemotherapy does not penetrate well into the brain. Right, because the there's a blood-brain barrier. That it's got to break through. It's a sanctuary, and it's intended. It's intended teleologically because there are there are toxins. Chemotherapy is a form of toxin, right? And there are toxins all over in nature, right? I mean the the drug, the chemotherapy drug, vincristine, comes from it's a vinca alkaloid. It comes from the vinca plant, which is a ground cover, common ground cover. So if you were um, back in your rooting days when you were rooting around in the forest. I was actually just looking at that, by the way, plant, because it's also drought tolerant. If I, it is. And I was it's looking, quite attractive. Yes, and it's very attractive. I was looking at, at it for my driveway. So if you were like rooting around in nature and you were chewing on the vinca plant, you would be getting 
some of the you know sort of precursor molecule of vincristine or the exact one and so you don't want that in your brain because your brain's your you know your central computer your central operating zone we don't want toxins in there so the blood brain barrier has pumps that pump those things out so it can't it can't get there and so as a result however therefore when we treat with chemotherapy sometimes it doesn't penetrate you know into the brain and so there are other therapies that do and certain chemos will penetrate into the into the brain and so again this is the whole individualizing of the therapy thing we need to choose something i want to see if the expressions of the tumor in your body and the expressions of your tumor in your brain were the same or not and make sure that whatever we treated you with in your body would also treat the brain at the same time if possible even though we were giving we removed the one and we were giving radiation to the brain we, we don't want to treat the whole brain because that has too much bad effect on normal brain tissue. And so, um, and so we wanted only to, to treat those few spots and we didn't want any other brain tumors to develop if possible. So we really wanted something to penetrate and bathe the brain, you know, in that treatment. And therefore, if there were seeds of cells that were ultimately destined to create other brain tumors, spots of brain tumor, um, we would kill them by by using that treatment, and then they would manifest as another spot of metastatic breast cancer. Right, but we also needed a treatment that didn't just take care of the brain meds. We but needed the, body. the whole body, yeah. like everything else that was going on. My breast cancer was spread into my bones, so it was very important that be kept under control. Exactly. And we found it when we did the pathology on Bob, the tumor, what was the the difference of that pathology that allowed me to be okay for this sort of new treatment that he was talking about a second ago, that the papers had just come out about it being a good alternative for something like I was. It was also expressing the HER2. It was not HER2 positive, but it was in that expressor zone. It was in that low level zone um, that this paper showed patients respond to. And that was, you know, made me very happy because it, we could treat both the body and the brain with that. And this drug antibody conjugate penetrates into the brain. So it is a particularly good choice. And that, and that has proven, not only was that a reasonable theory by which to choose a treatment, but that's proven out to be a good result for you as we've had, as we know, with some recent scans that let's just say made us very happy. Made us very happy. Yeah. Which I think is really interesting because, you know, we scanned me quite often once I went on this other treatment, you know, it didn't, it didn't really look like it was performing that well. And I think it was after the fifth treatment that you and I had a conversation about it. And the conversation was maybe we should move to a different treatment. And we sort of both sat with it and took our time to think about it, reconnected and you know, I think I started by saying, I want to give it more time. And you really sort of went back and did research and then called me and said, actually, I ordered a very specific test for you to get done, which was for your tumor markers. And it's not something that you get done every single month with your blood work. It's specific that you have to order. And I ordered it and your tumor markers were, you know, they're cut in half, basically. So we know that it's working. And you said, so I feel comfortable with you staying on this as long as you agree to get MRIs a little bit more often because you wanted to stay on top of it. And then after my seventh treatment, you came into my infusion room and you were, 
I, I mean, I just, you came in, you're like, yes, <laughs> you were, you know, you were, I don't want to say more excited than me, but you were equally as joyous as me. And I almost never do that. And and the reason I almost never do that isn't because I'm not joyous. It's because I fear if I do that, then every subsequent time we have scans, if I don't walk in that way, people will read in, patients will read into it that I'm really not joyous. And then they'll think whatever I'm saying, you know, uh, I'm, it, that I'm really secretly you know, upset because we didn't get better results or something like that, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's such an important part. We accidentally tripped onto a zone of conversation. That's so important. It's really so important as a doctor to realize that people are watching every single move you make and every single word. No, if your eyebrow you twitches, I'm like, what does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you and I have sort of, we have established a way of doing things because your clinic, the Angeles Clinic in Los Angeles is, it's extraordinary in the sense that you can go in, you can go get a PET scan, you can go get an MRI, you can go get a CT scan. And whereas traditionally, I know people that have had to wait 10 days for the results. At your clinic, you get the results the same day. And most of your patients, you know, wait for their scans. They wait there and then they have an appointment with you or one of the other doctors, like whatever, and they get their results in person the same day. And I chose to do it very differently from the beginning with you, where I said, I don't want you, I don't, I don't want to know my results in person. I let me go home and call me with my results at whatever time works for you throughout the day. Whenever you have a moment, whenever you have a break, whenever, you know, you're not seeing a patient, if it's at night, it doesn't really matter to me when, because I didn't want to monitor my reaction um, for you or for the nurse practitioner or for anybody that was in the room with me, for my mom, like whoever it was, right? I, whatever you told me, good or bad, I wanted to be alone alone so that I could have an authentic, like true reaction from myself and not try to put on a like game face for every, because there's nothing worse than getting bad news face to face. And you feel like you have to make the person giving you the bad news feel, feel really better. good. Yeah. And I'm that person that feels like it's my responsibility to make sure everybody is okay. You're the first person in my entire career who ever wanted that format. Which but it is works why, for which, us. No, no, it totally works. And it and it makes total sense. And to be honest with you, which probably, you know, is part of the underpinning of the closeness of our, you know, friendship through all these many years, is that I realize that I'm probably the same way. Like I would probably, you know, be the other person who would want it that way because sure. I realize that, you know, when I hear something, whatever it is, I want to process it personally to figure out how I feel about it before I want to tell somebody else. Because the minute you tell someone else, whatever, if it's good news, you've got a new job, you know, if it's bad news, whatever, people are going to blurt out their response. And it's hard to hear other people's reaction, especially when we're talking about cancer and cancer results and all that, when you're not yet sure what your response is, because therefore you have no, no defense or no ability to reformat their misguided reaction to it. And often, often the people in one's lives have misguided reactions to data. They they don't 
you know, you, they're getting bits and parts, pieces of your story, and they they can be very misguided. And it's very hard to unhear something. Yeah. And that is an underappreciated axiom. It's very hard to unhear things. And if there's anything that that in this conversation we're having that people who are listening who are caregivers or loved ones or people, friends, people in the lives of people who are going through the cancer journey is be very careful what you say because they can't unhear what you say. And there's such a desire of well-meaning people who care about someone to establish to you that they understand what you're going through by saying, oh, well, yes, you know, my sister had breast cancer too, or my so-and-so had breast cancer too. Unfortunately, it often leads, uh, most people when they're telling the story don't think about the punchline and whether the, the punchline is appropriate. <laughs> yeah. And they say, yeah, well, what happened to your sister? Says the patient. And they said, well, yeah, she died three years ago. Yeah. And like, oh my, right? I mean, and no one does that intentionally, but it's mortifying because if you don't think about where the story ends up before you choose to tell it to this particular person, it's, you know, it, it doesn't I go I get that well. one all the time. All the time. And, you know, I know that the people are very, you know, well-intentioned. It's like a way of connecting with me and of saying, I know what you're going through. And, you know, I really, like, they always follow it up with like, I so admire like your journey, but it is, is always sort of my mom, my grandmother, my sister, my friend, they died. And I'm always like, what do I do with that information? It's a hard one. It was I was being interviewed today and the woman interviewing me, her father is a doctor. And so I guess she spoke to him about, you know, more in general terms of like stage four, you know, cancer, like I have her knowledge of what I have and gave that to her dad. And she kept on using the word like terminal and like, you know, there is no cure. Like this is really bad. And I just, I kind of was like, Based on what? Because your dad may be a doctor, but he doesn't know my particular cancer. He doesn't know where my tumor markers is. There are so many things. But also I just kind of sat there like, huh, like, I don't know what you're getting at. Like, what do you, are you looking for me to break down and cry in this conversation because it's on camera and that's going to be a great moment for you guys? Like, I couldn't figure out what the end game was, except that I think she was truly concerned and truly, you know, tried to come in with knowledge, Mm. but probably got fed a bunch of stuff that perhaps she shouldn't have repeated because I think, I think it's very dangerous for other people to have the conversation about your cancer besides your doctor. I think it is an extremely dangerous conversation. Well, I always tell patients at the first diagnosis, I say to them that they should tell all their friends who are going to wonder what they're supposed to talk about with you. And they think, well, if I don't talk about the cancer, they'll think that I'm afraid and ignoring it. And if I do talk about the cancer, then I might not say the right things. So they don't know what to do, but they usually talk about the cancer. They call it, how are you? How are you doing? Are you okay? Do you need anything? Whatever. All of which sounds nice, right? But if 
oh, these are the people who you talked about dropping your kids off to school and, you know, how the drop off line, you know, they should manage it better at the school. And, you know, you want to meet to play, you know, pickleball and um, I want to have a dinner party this weekend. You know, do you want to come and what should we cook? Right. Instead, they're, how are you? Are you okay? Do you need anything? Like it's, just, you become not normal. You become a cancer person. Yeah. And you don't want to be a cancer person. So I tell everyone, tell your friends to talk about with you everything that they always used to talk with you about. And don't talk about cancer. And here's the clue. When you want to talk about cancer, you'll tell them. You'll bring right. it up. And then then go for it. I, then I'm bringing it up. I'm, I'm But I'm guiding you as to what why I want to talk about. Do I want to talk about how I'm feeling emotionally? Do I want to talk about how sad that my personal life has has been influenced by cancer and this unfortunate thing in my personal life happened or whatever, but just take the lead and focus on what they want to talk about. Don't put your own stuff into it. Um, and it's complicated, right? Because people are not therapists and they're not you know, aware of cancer and they don't have the medical stuff. But this is so important to the quality of life of a person with cancer because when people are always making you a cancer person, it just... it. It, it detracts from your quality of life and it changes your self-image of yourself. Like, I'm a cancer person now, you know? And then you start feeling sick. Yeah, 100%. Like, it, 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 it feeds the beast. It really does. Uh, versus, I mean, I don't have many people that I talk to cancer about. Like, for me, I, I talk to you about cancer because I think you're qualified to talk to me about cancer. And everybody else... Like, well, where are you getting your information from? If if it's from the internet, I have literally no desire to hear one word that comes from the internet, not just about cancer, but pretty much about everything at this point, but particularly about cancer. And, and so I want to, I want to speak to people that are, you know, leading the charge in research. I want to, I want honesty. I want, you know, hope where there's hope. I want someone to be pragmatic where it's called for, like, but I don't want uh, information that can't be verified or backed up. And I also don't want to be a cancer person. I want to, you know, and I, 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 I've often done some very stupid, stupid things since being diagnosed because of my desire to be normal, because I've like rejected the idea that I'm a cancer in quotes patient. Like I have cancer and I'm managing it and I'm managing it with you and I'm managing it with, you know, Dr. Chu and like whoever else we need to bring in to help in those moments. But I don't want it to define my everyday life. Well, so much so that, you know, and we've always kept, which I think is a super healthy and amazing way to do it. We've always kept our lanes separate. Yeah. So when we're together socially as friends, it's a friend lane. Mm-hmm. When it, when we're doing medical stuff, it's a medical lane. And, you know, every once in a while, those things have to cross over, but it's extremely rare. And you, for example, will never ask me anything medical when we're doing something social. Or if you have to, you'll say, look, I'm really sorry for asking this right now when we're having dinner, but just blah, 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 blah. It's some little knit or whatever that you have to I've also ask about. been to dinners with you. I've seen your phone. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen it, but like I've seen how many, you know, you are inundated 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You you do not get a day off. 
of, you know, medical questions and your patients have your cell phone and, you know, you've given full access to yourself. So when I'm able to steal you away and we go to dinner somewhere, I don't want to do that. Like if I have a question for you, I'll text you during business hours or I'll come into the clinic and I'll ask you, you know, we, we just went to Italy together. You invited me on this amazing yacht and, uh, with your family And I got to go to Italy with you, which was like bucket list. By the way, you knew it was on my bucket list. And when you called me, you said like, it's kind of bucket list, Shan. And I was like, it is. I was so excited. Um, And we had the best time. Such a good time. What an amazing, what an amazing trip. We ate at some amazing restaurants. And- yeah. I wish I coordinated my outfits better with you, but now I know what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> and she was just, you know, I mean, she's incredible, like uh, jumping off of every level of the yacht, even the highest of like Shannon is is fearless. I mean, she truly is. I did injure myself, fearless. though. I know you did, but I was going to skip over that. <laughs> it wasn't ju- it wasn't jumping off the boat, however. It, it was, was climbing engineering the stairs. <laughs> I mean, that's the crazy thing. Like you jump off like the highest points of this ginormous yacht and you go to climb back on. And I got scared of the um, of the jellyfish. So I went the the long way. That was at night, I think. Yeah, right? and the dangerous way. And that's when I gave myself that that big bump on my leg. And that was really crazy too, because since it was night, the crew had the, the bright on. light shining onto the sea. Yeah. And all of a sudden we get to see all these jellyfish floating around in there. That's of course we never saw during the day. Yeah. And it was like, Oh, how, did she really just jump in there? Yeah. <laughs> well, cause they didn't see them when I did the jump. It's like jumping in a shark infested waters. Like I never would have done it had I known. But then once I was swimming around, I was like, Whoa, that's nuts. I'm going to go the long way. You know, Southern Italy is known for its seafood. <laughs> <laughs> I don't in, eat in this seafood, case, you were yeah, the seafood. I was the seafood. Uh, wow. Yeah. I mean, we, we sort of did a fast forward because I was going back to us meeting and you sort of taking over my protocol and instantly saying, listen, you got to go get surgery. Like, that's the first thing. Are you surprised that we did a fast forward? Like, we no. Al- we always start down a road. And shortly turned down a lane. Unpredictable is the word that you use to start with. And, and that, that still and, matches. And there it goes. And that's the magic yes. of it all. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? 
M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness, kick back and spread some positivity into the world from smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports on stages and at the box office. Women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to women take the mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. So you said you got to get the tumor out of your breast. Like let's like, that's the first thing. And then once that's done, you're going to go on chemo, you're going to get radiation. And we did, we did all of that. And I made the decision at some point to not take tamoxifen, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, obviously a drug that everybody recommends that you take because it is a hormone blocker and, it was adjuvant therapy, meaning that you had no known cancer and it was being given, it would be given to increase the chances that cancer not come back by staying in your system and blocking the cell's ability to grow. Estrogen is a growth factor for cancer cells. So tamoxifen would block the estrogen um, to the cancer cell and hopefully any microscopic disease that maybe have been in your body that's too small to show up on imaging and that we didn't know about that maybe it would kill that and and increase the odds that it wouldn't come back. That, that was the principle of adjuvant therapy of tamoxifen. Which is a, you know, solid argument. Like I look back and I go, well, maybe had we don't I do that. We don't taken do that. it, you know. I mean, I've had some people in my life who've sort of forced me to look back like that, but I can't, right? Because the, as you what said- What good is it? It doesn't do you any You make the best decision you can yes. at the time you make it. And in retrospect, you often cannot remember many of the factors that were influencing you. So when you look back, you have a, an erroneous evaluation of your decision. But at the time, you had been on, on estrogen blockade before you ever had surgery. And it wasn't very effective on shrinking your tumor. And you had a lot of effects on your body that you didn't like. So those two factors were influencing you to not choose to take that drug at that time. And you were disease-free and the balance of things to you at the time seemed reasonable. And you did not make that lightly and you made it over and over again because I asked you every single time for a year, are you sure you don't want to do this? Are you sure you want to do this? So 
you were you were resolute in your decision and and you can't judge that decision and no one else can force you to because you made the best decision you could at the time and yeah. it's a it's an erroneous set of analyses when you look backwards yeah i mean i also think that i was fairly certain it wasn't going to come back because I believed that the reason why I got cancer was because I did IVF. Right. I met my husband at the time later in years and, you know, a multitude of things happened. And so when it was time to have that decision, we we chose to have, we needed IVF and I did a bunch of rounds of it. And I, you know, through a lot of other women that I knew that did IVF that ended up getting breast cancer as well, sort of the numbers all started stacking up in my head that if, you know, you sort of have a cell that's a little wonky and that's sitting on the edge of maybe turning, spreading cancer, blah, 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 that um, the all the hormones that you're pumping into your body from IVF are only going to up that chance of it. That was at least my thinking. So when I got the, you know, you're all clear remission after chemo and all of that, I knew I wasn't doing IVF anymore because I was already in menopause. So like there was no need for it. I was pretty sure, you know, I don't want to say that I made a very uh, uninformed decision. Like I am a researcher. I'm hardcore about, you know, backing up some of my data, certainly not at your level and certainly not at doctor's levels and uh, researchers levels. So my decision was at the time based on sort of the facts that I knew that I had investigated. And you, in fact, did keep on encouraging me to take the tamoxifen. And I was just like, absolutely not. You're a resolute. Yeah. But but also, yes, you, you did research things, but also there was another factor in there, which is even though, you know, anyone who's sort of close to menopause often goes into menopause with with chemotherapy. Sometimes people who are not close to menopause go into it as well, but then it sometimes returns. Menstruation can return. And you were still hopeful that it might return for you because you still wanted to have a baby. Yeah, desperately. And I think that played a role in the tamoxifen thing, which, you know, people at this stage where you're at doesn't seem like a factor, but that was a factor at the time, this sort of hopefulness that maybe you could still have a baby. Yeah. I mean, thank you for reminding me of that because it did definitely play a huge role of, you know, wanting not only, not only did I want a child for myself, but I wanted it, you know, for my husband. I wanted it for our marriage. I wanted, you know, I wanted him to have that part of himself fulfilled as well. So it seemed like a calculated risk that wasn't too bad of one to take. Plus, I can't remember, you'll correct me. I think it's cervical cancer that there's a percentage of tamoxifen increase uterine, uterine cancer. Yeah. Thank you. And I was like, well, you know, that just gave me one more reason to say no to it. And yeah, and you're right. And I can't look back. Um, and so moving forward. I think, but I think also don't forget that cancer and cancer treatment, you know, caused you to look back at, you know, your own life and to be very philosophical you know, it made you want to have a child for another reason too, which is, you know, to be able to impart, you know, the very many things that you've learned in life and the many feelings that you had into raising a human being, you know, I mean, that's a, that's the ultimate diary 
is to right. raise a child and try to infuse their life with all the wisdoms that you had and and helping them try to avoid the mistakes that you made and not that they're going to not make some of their own of course they will but there's a you know you, you were in the spotlight since you were a, a you know a young girl and you you'd lived a million lives when most people you know were just starting out or were in the beginning of the careers you'd already had two or three careers and you you know fought your way you know in, in a hollywood scene that you know didn't necessarily you know regard what you had to say and i mean i've i've never met anybody as well educated as you who was schooled on the set and i of course as you know know many many people who were schooled on sets but you have a you know a level of comprehension and power of intelligence and use of that intelligence in a you know in a very incisive way thank you in cooking as well for example there are not that many people who go on to be these amazing cooks and i mean everything you do is full tilt that's who you are and and that's how you make your decisions and and so the, i actually find it very gratifying that you research things and you you know make your definitive decision because you see in medical decision making people want shared decisions with the physician which i'm all about i mean i'm i'm all about that i love that as you know and as all my patients know but part and parcel of shared decision making is accepting responsibility for the decision mm -hmm. and you always do that sometimes people want shared decision making but then if it's not the right decision then they want to look to everyone else for you know why the wrong decision was made or whatever but but when you when you're a person who really owns it and like all my patients do but you are the you know the prime example of that of someone who you know wants to participate in the process wants to know the data and once you make your decision you own responsibility for your decision and i i love that because that's that's just the being a person of truth accountability yeah. I love nothing. Accountability is like my favorite thing. So if I made a decision that put me in a certain place, then I hold myself accountable. Like you have to. I've seen that over and over and over again in everything you said and done. And even in stories we've talked about, about your career. Yes. And certain decisions that you've made in response to things that happened or this or that you've you know, you've always accepted responsibility for those. And you know, the thing is, and when, when, things happen that weren't your responsibility, you will describe it, but you're also not, you, you've never been finger pointing of people say that person did that. It's a new thing. Or, or <laughs> that person did that. You'll, you'll, you'll say what they did, but you'll also understand the other factors that were bearing on the scenario. Yeah. You know, and that's, I mean, I I've always respected that. For the most you. part. Yeah. I think every, you know, there's, there's always the exception to the rule where I point the finger and go, mm-mm you're bearing the full brunt of this one because right. this is all on you. Um, and when you do that, it's very believable because you don't do that often. Dr. Pirro, LP, thank you so much for being on. Uh, there is so much more for us to talk about. So I'm going to have you on for another episode and just keep digging and keep exploring because I just, I think you have so much to offer and this conversation is incredibly important to a lot of people. So Thank you very much. And uh, I love you. And yeah, see you soon. In 
Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. 